Welcome on to a steamy episode of Dunked On. No, sorry, nothing salacious going on. It literally is incredibly hot in my house. We don't have air conditioning because it's Berkeley and it's 90 degrees outside and I can't open a window because that would mess up the audio quality. So hopefully I do not get too delirious over the course of this podcast. Let's get started talking about the Sixers, Danny, and their offseason. And I think these scenarios are very firmly delineated for them why don't we just start talking first about where they are before just if none of their free agents are, are on the books what does that look like and to be clear those free agents jimmy but at least the significant ones jimmy butler tobias harris and jj reddick uh, as far as the, the guys who are really a part of this core going one of the things that stands out about philadelphia is just how little they have on their books so even if you include the 24th pick in the draft which they have that's their own selection the Sixers only have 42.5 million on their books. So that means if you wanted to, you know, wipe it all away, it'd be somewhere between 60 and 65 million in space, which is an absolute ton. Now, doing so would create a lot of openings they would have to fill. I mean, the only guys that would be on the roster then would be Embiid, Simmons, Zaire Smith, Jonah Bolden, and that draft. But they do have a lot of, I guess you could call it flexibility because they have so little actually on their books right now because they're trying to get a lot on their books this summer. Yeah. And when you throw in, we'll get to what some of the specific scenarios are in a second. But in general, I've got them with 58 million or so in space if they're going to keep the restricted free agent hold of TJ McConnell on the books. And that that first rounder is also project that they're going to waive Jonathan Simmons, who has a million dollars guaranteed this year. You could also see him just getting traded to a team that has cap space along with some cash and wiping that million dollars off the book. Simmons also has a guarantee date, by the way, of July first which means he's gonna get waived for then almost certainly he was due 5.7 million and he's not in the rotation so clearly if they bring back both butler and harris not not to mention reddick you've got all that 58 million being used up and i do think while the siren song of cap space has always been alert to this franchise they haven't really been able to score the big free agent before i think that informed their decisions to trade for both butler and harris to try to get them into their culture give them a, a taste of winning get that extra fifth year if needed to bring them back so clearly if you let all these guys go and don't forget reddick is part of that too you let all these guys go and 58 million is nowhere near enough to bring back players that good unless they're going to be in the Kawhi or the KD or the Kyrie sweepstakes which absolutely no indications of that whatsoever so I think it is incumbent upon them now to bring back all of these guys uh, Reddick, Harris and Butler not only for competitive reasons because those are probably the best guys but also that there's really if one of them doesn't come back then you don't have a way to spend a similar amount of money that you could spend on Butler, Harris, or Reddick due to the bird rights to replace them. And that uh, that's why I expect them to ultimately do what it takes financially to bring back all three of those guys, assuming that they are interested in staying. Just to provide a little color on, on what you're talking about, I think the, the the a good inflection point to talk about here is J.J. Reddick. So Reddick, had, well, more accurately, the Sixers have early bird rights on Reddick, which allow them to sign him for up to... 175% of what he made last year and last the current season he made 12.3 million so they can, they can give him a pretty sizable raise there but if they have to renounce him to use cap space because he has a significant basically 16 million it's 15.9 million dollar cap hold on the books if they renounce him then they lose the capacity to give him that sort of money and other teams will be 
be offering it. Reddick is getting older. He needed the long-term security, all those sorts of things. So if they end up being a cap space team, it comes at the expense of him. But what I think is interesting, the way you framed it, I agree with you that they're going to, that, that it makes sense for the Sixers to do what they can to retain the, the high profile players that they acquired over the course of the 18-19 season. However, it is not only their decision. And we have seen talented players take less or just choose something different. And neither Butler nor Tobias Harris, unlike JJ Redick, has done anything declarative in terms of ever signing with the Philadelphia 76ers. Both of them were traded there. Maybe there were preliminary conversations. I, I would assume that there very well could have been, considering especially the high price they gave up for Tobias Harris at the, at the trade deadline. But all it would take, it could be a, even a change of heart. Maybe Jimmy, or, or it could just be that they don't want to be there. So if Jimmy Butler says, I would rather be in Brooklyn, or I would rather be a Laker, or a Clipper, or any number of other destinations, then if that fifth year doesn't matter to that player, the Sixers are pretty screwed. Yeah, it, it seems like uh, that's probably the case. Let's, let's take you through a few permutations here just in terms of if certain of those guys uh, end up leaving where they would be in terms of cap space to replace them and then I think we can talk about well how much would you offer these guys and then who might your backup plans be if one of them leaves let's say you want to only bring back Tobias Harris and no Reddick no Butler that would leave you with 37 million dollars in space which actually could be max room if there were a player who deserving of a max other than butler who wanted to come there you imagine that's the scenario that they probably would pursue but harris has a little bit smaller of a capital he only made 14.8 million last year so his capital only 22 million so you got 37 million in room to work with let's say that you want to keep jj reddick's 15 million dollar hold on the books now you've got 22 million in room if you could potentially get reddick to agree to a little bit less you know let's say he starts at 10 million and you you make it up to him by giving some years out now you got 28 million in space and if you wanted to move jonathan simmons before you have to pay that million dollar guarantee now you're up to 29 million in space and with zyre smith making 3 million jonah bolden 1.6 that first rounder number 24 overall gives you some room to work with tj mcconnell with his cap hold not that big but still you know gives you another andrew thousand you probably could get up to even retaining harris and reddick that 32.7 million dollar max for a seven to nine year player your issue there though is all right, you do that, and you got the exact same problem that you had this year in terms of the depth of the team. Once you've used the cap space, all you've got is the room exception. You can give out a two-year deal starting at $4.8 million with 5% raises. So basically a two-year $10 million deal is the most you can give it out, and then you're down to minimums again. So you're really going to struggle to fill things out because what are your needs going to be? Backup center. I think they might need a backup center uh, who's a little bit better than the, the one that they have had last year backup point guard another really good wing player who presumably would use up most of, of that money that you have set aside in this scenario where you're bringing back harrison and, and reddick and, and butler is walking backup wing backup power forward somebody who can shoot the ball coming off the bench i mean you look at that ridiculous amount of things that you need at that point and you're probably in a worse situation than you were this year and then butler he has a 30 million dollar cap hold so you can kind of go through it there if you let harris go now you got eight million dollars less room than everything that we were talking about there so really 
another reason that you hold on to these guys is you've got some more team building tools uh, available as well right mike scott 5.2 million dollar cap hold if you just stay over the cap the whole time you got the ability to pay him up to 5.2 million dollars and bring him back 120 percent of what he made last year on, on that one year deal you could maybe bring back Furkan Korkmaz who you can only pay him two million but maybe that's enough you wouldn't have to get rid of that TJ McConnell didn't help them in the playoffs but maybe a useful regular season guy you can keep his capital on the books hopefully as a restricted free agent which is near the minimum 1.6 million dollars for him you don't have to get rid of the draft pick maybe as well so it makes so much sense to keep all three of these guys for next year it's just oh man what if we got to pay these guys these crazy salaries what's it going to look like after in the summer of 2020 when you've got ben simmons getting a significant raise probably up to or near the max and then you know two three four years from now when you're paying jimmy butler almost 40 million dollars when he's in his mid-30s you know that that's but for next year absolutely you want to do what you can to maximize this and then you know so much of that of whether it's worth it or not is well as Embiid you know is he kind of a ticking time bomb with his health and you gotta get as much out as you can out of him now and you know is there really an expectation that Simmons can get that much better is is he pretty close to being as good as he's gonna be how what's your appetite for the luxury tax because it's gonna be massive payment once you're paying basically four guys the max you could always try to trade Butler or Harris but if things go poorly for them then maybe those contracts aren't as tradable you know reddick uh, how long can he last at this rate i mean he had one of a, 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 the better seasons of his career when it was all said and done at in his mid-30s now so uh, so many questions to answer but i think the idea that you just can't get worse here and what does the future look like even if you do take a step back to try and get better two years from now there's no guarantee that you'll ever get another player as good as butler harris even as good as butler harris two years from now uh, if you let those guys go now so it does seem like they really need to bring those guys back do you agree with all that i do and it gets even more complicated you brought up the idea that simmons is going to get a significant raise that is 100 true but also remember that because he was the number one overall pick he has a massive cap hold 24.3 million for the 2020 21 season meaning that if you try to roll over cap space or you know whatever whatever that is try to get it in the market well that stops up most of that so they it is really close to a use it or lose it except but what makes it complicated as you said is the luxury tax because Joel Embiid making after the 1920 season making 295 31-6 33-6 then if you add in Simmons making a ton of money and whatever combination of Butler Reddick and Tobias Harris that team gets really expensive really quickly and they're not deep they have talent but almost everything else other than minimum contracts and draft picks costs a lot of money so using the mid-level exception gets a lot more expensive Oklahoma City can tell you about that or the Warriors and all of these elements that seem small I mean the the Sixers demonstrated this in the second round those things seem small but they're really really important if the Sixers were a deeper team they would have had a much better chance in that second round series against the Raptors I still think the Raptors were the better team but we saw how close it ended up and if ownership is not willing to dive as deep into the tax not only just to pay it in the abstract but also to continue building around this core we don't know exactly how the East is going to look in two to three years but we know there are going to be really good teams because that's just the way this always 
works. Let's take a look at, at a few more scenarios here. The one I discussed in which you bring back all these guys. Let's say Butler and Harris both start at the max this year. Who knows how many years, what kind of raises those guys get. And let's say you can bring back Reddick for starting at 10 million this year. Him, his negotiations will be really interesting. It might behoove them to go out some more years on him. He made 12.3 million last year. Could see certainly these teams that strike out in terms of cap space wanting to bring him in if they can't get their initial targets and it's a little bit different this year than it is some years because teams that have cap space actually could be good teams that he would want to go to now he's very happy apparently on the east coast in philly he's said before in fact that getting years to him is more important maybe than getting the money so the reason it would really you know if you'd say hey it, it could either be three years 30 million or two years 30 million for him getting him down from 15 million to 10 million is huge because let's say you get him or let's put it this way let's say butler and harris both start at the max you now have 16 million below the tax you know give or take again on the draft pick and mcconnell and a few of these other things and more importantly here 22 million below the apron and if they want to use the full mid-level exception remember if you use that 9.2 million or the biannual exception as well which is 3.6 million this year projected you are hard capped if you use either of those and you can't go over the apron for any reason so the lower you can get reddick down if you get 15 million for him now you only basically have 17 million below the apron and you got to sign a bunch of minimums and so you're just you're gonna you're not gonna be able to use the BAE, you're not gonna be able to use the full mle and you're gonna have to just maybe use the taxpayer mid-level and just you'll almost certainly be in the tax regardless it's hard to imagine by the way danny if they bring back butler harris and reddick them not being in the tax this year would you agree with that i mean it really would be tough for them to there get isn't much money to shed i mean no. you have mb the only i mean zyra smith is making 3.1 jonah bolden's making 1.7 there isn't there's no fat to trim yeah absolutely uh yeah unless reddick just comes back with far for far less than we thought or you can get one of those guys to start at less than the max i mean that's really the uh the only hope here and and even if you get reddick to start at 10 million given the other business that you need to conduct and the the need to sign guys throughout the season and having some breathing room to make trades i still don't see them being able to use the fullman level and then also if they wanted to bring back mike scott for up to that 5.2 which i would imagine that would be close enough to get it done for him and he does provide a shooting element that's important i mean i, I don't love him as a playoff rotation player but beggars can't be choosers in this respect so maybe you're looking at the mini mid-level probably to bring in a backup center maybe you, you hope that jonah bolden can play more of a role this year you got the ability to possibly bring back cork Maz, although i'm guessing he's not really that interested in, in sticking around there well that gets into something i wanted to bring up briefly which is the striking element that every the sixers have a ton of free agents they only have four four players plus a draft pick on guaranteed money for next year like all the way locked in every single one of their free agents is unrestricted says you know there there aren't any there there could be some game playing with maybe somebody like tj mcconnell because he has a low cap hold and they oh have yeah mcconnell is unrestricted i'm sorry i forgot about that yeah i forgot they 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 picked up his fourth year yeah, yeah okay that was dumb that was the decision that they made so maybe mcconnell you know he, he has prerogative lead maybe they do a joe harris situation where they agree to a deal use his low cap hold sign some guys that that 
is yeah. less common now than it was in the previous CBA. I, but I think McConnell is so much more useful on another team, though. Right. Like I, I, it seems it would seem weird for me to, for him to take like a discount or anything to go to the Sixers. Yeah. And it also would be weird for the Sixers to overpay him, considering he isn't a great fit for what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, it, you can't spend a bunch of money here on someone who's not going to be in the rotation in the playoffs. Which, if with Ben Simmons around, he's just not going to. So, well, and that gets into the the other point that I really want to talk about in the in the meat of this, which is Elton Brand needs to make a decision on Ben Simmons now. That doesn't mean they have to sign him or that they have to, you know, extend, make it agree to an extension or anything like that. But if they want to have Simmons as part of their future, totally fine. They can they can absolutely do that. But to me, a in terms of the the role players you sign, in terms of the what kind of contracts, Redick and especially Redick, I think he has the most variability here. What you do with that, building a Joel Embiid team and building a Joel Embiid Ben Simmons team are different. And it is justified to go in one direction or the other, but they need to do that because I think that affects the decisions that they make and the financial future of the franchise. And because if Brand decides that Ben Simmons is not a part of it, they can get a lot more for him now where that team has extension rights. They get him for this coming season and the playoffs. And, you know, it's sort of paralleling, you know, back in the day with with Harden. You know, you, you not saying that they're the same level players, not saying he has the MVP upside that Harden ended up demonstrating, but it's a lot easier to do that than to get into this awkward free agency or even mid-season and say, hey, this extremely unusual player, do you want this guy and give us a mint for him and totally upheave, like put your roster into upheaval for the rest of the season? Yeah, the, uh, Simmons, I, I still don't see them being there yet. I also think actually if the Raptors go on and win the championship, as it appears in all likelihood as we record this, that really could embolden them to want to keep this group together a little bit more if they think about how close they were to beating Toronto now Toronto I thought had really bad shooting luck in that series as we've seen in the next two series they have really good shooters they just could not knock them down you know Fred Fred Van Vliet just completely forgetting how to play now granted Billy is not a great matchup for him with all their size but nonetheless like a lot of Toronto guys could have played a lot better in that series and maybe it wouldn't have been as close but they're not going to think of it that way and so if Toronto goes on and wins relatively comfortably here these last two series they think like hey we gave that the champions the hardest test uh, that they had you know let's bring this group back and and go for it and i don't think that's a a bad line of reasoning frankly i mean this is and especially with potential upheaval in boston also who knows you know that maybe Giannis this could be this last year in milwaukee next year who knows uh so if they can the ability to lock in a core even though a really expensive one and have it at their discretion of whether they want to move some of these guys or not instead of being beholden to possible free agent defections as their competition in the east is you know that that could be seen as a big advantage and there's scenarios in play under which they just bring all these guys back and they're the favorites in the east next year so that that makes you more likely to think we got to go here uh and bring these guys back um do you want to talk about just how those negotiations with butler and harris might go sure i i think both players understand to the extent that it matters that they have the Sixers over a barrel now there isn't so much payment flexibility there I mean the other the other teams can only offer a four-year max at the 30% threshold so there you know there's only so much that let's say it's a three plus one is on the table from somebody else and I suspect for both guys that it would be they yeah can do I, I think that's that's nearly certain to me yeah. when you consider the teams and the level of desperation now I mean when you consider Brooklyn and the number of teams even that are now in the double max game between the Clippers, the Knicks, and Brooklyn. One of those three teams, in theory, is going to get 
one of the best guys, Kyrie, KD, and Kawhi. And then they're going to want a sidekick to go with them. And maybe Kemba Walker fits into that, or maybe Kyrie and, and KD both go somewhere together. But regardless of how that works, there are enough good teams where it really makes, you know, this isn't like a Phoenix with cap space. There are enough teams that really have aspirations to win right now. The Lakers are, are another one, frankly, where it's worth it to pay Jimmy Butler, who played like a max guy, at least in the playoffs, you know, certainly for next year. So I think when push comes to shove, the four-year max offer will be out there for both Butler and Harris, just because there are so many teams. And, and those guys are both wing players too. So they, they fit in a lot of places, Butler perhaps even more so than Harris. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, well, so one thing, you, you brought this up earlier, but I want to I want to emphasize it because I think it's extremely important that Philadelphia has some, you know, flexibility in terms of if the right player set, right free agent said yes, they could incorporate that player. But it is extremely hard to imagine considering the strength of those players' other options and the nebulousness of a Philadelphia their situation that we would see like clay thompson would be a wonderful fit i think thompson would be awesome on there i would actually like him better for them than either of their potential max signings this summer but what are the chances that he goes Kawhi leonard same situation Kyrie is you know a little bit more challenging of a fit but still an awesome player obviously and kemba's kind of the the x factor here you know not from philly but from new york city which is not too far away and depending on what they think about ben simmons you could build a team with kemba as a focal point that would be really fascinating so it's an option i don't you know that would have to be a preliminary conversation you know that sort of a thing but it gets into how challenging this is going to be for elton brand go through here and see maybe some guys that they might want to assuming they bring everyone back some players that might be able to help them with that mini mid-level or maybe even some potential minimum signings i think markeith morris as a reclamation product project could be potentially useful here a philly guy and maybe he'll be in there price range considering how poorly he played at the end of the last year he really needs to rebuild his value i don't think he's going to have a starting spot available for him i'm sure they'd love to have jamichael green although i think jamichael green's market is going to be higher than what they'll have available to offer taj gibson i think would be a wonderful backup center option for this group at age 34 see whether jeff green's market is going to be a little bit above uh i don't know if ben simmons would be too happy about it but jared dudley it would be a good option as well i really like i really like george hill for them yeah uh you know i think hill is gonna be too pricey for them after the way he played in the playoffs very possible um austin austin rivers could be interesting yeah yeah i I mean as just someone who can create a little bit on the second unit better 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 off ball than on ball competes defensively yeah has been on competitive teams has played in big games before yeah certainly garrett temple uh, yeah would be up there uh, as well uh wayne ellington is also a, a philly guy Although I don't think they want another guy who's a defensive liability in the playoffs, but again, beggars probably can't be choosers here. Reggie Bullock, I would be looking at. He might be too pricey for them also, but it, he kind of fell off the radar in LA as things fell apart for them. Jeremy Lamb could be an interesting one. I mean, really, anybody who can play at all on the wing. I mean, we're kind of going through some of the usual suspects now at, at this point. Um, but, and perhaps maybe they think, well, we don't need a traditional backup point guard that's not a good place to spend our money because we desperately need that backup center option, which we can talk more about in a second. Uh, and Jimmy Butler can just be our backup point guard that'll help Mull 
disqualify him getting him some more pick and rolls anyway uh which prep Braun usually hasn't liked to run uh, as much um anyone stick out among the center group who might fit in well as a backup center but also i mean they really need two more centers and although if they stay over they could bring back uh boban potentially stay over the cap as we anticipate they'll do so he could maybe be the third center although he might want to go elsewhere where he can play more uh and but uh, who else sticks out to you as potentially being a good fit someone who can start in the inevitable games that Joel Embiid is going to miss Joel already saying that they were too aggressive already in uh his minutes this year so I expect he's going to be on the Kawhi plan next year healthy or not I don't know how many years in a row I've talked about Kylo Quinn being a backup center for the Sixers I like O'Quinn I think he can take that larger role when necessary so he could fit in relatively well Noah Vonley would be interesting not a like not a traditional you know rock solid five but could play a little bit in some of their different iterations I think that could be intriguing and he has a you know he started out his you know high school career as a small forward I think he has a little bit more room to grow with in terms of his jump shot but there aren't a ton of of great fits for that flexibility of being a 10 minute a game player who can play 30 to 35 when necessary this team would be a great Kavan Looney fit yes you you and B goes out of the game you've got all this size now you can switch everything with Looney uh you know I, I'm not sure how many minutes he can play but you know probably could get up to 25 minutes Steve Kerr seems to think that he can't play more than 20 minutes maybe that has to do with like his hips or something uh on the more traditional center front uh, I would like Epe Udo there a lot as as a defensive center he's I think because they have enough scores on this team where you can kind of get away with playing him uh Joakim Noah who played well in Memphis might be a, a thought as well some of that DHO stuff that Brett Brown likes to run uh, Noah might be decent at that I also like Salah Mejri although it seems like he's just wedded to, to being in Dallas but I I think he's he's pretty good and, and he could help a contender certainly would have been better than any of their backup center options last year I don't see them going for Rashawn Holmes it seems like he's gonna be a priority in Phoenix anyway uh maybe you could see them going for Pau Gasol and just like a total flyer at this point Pau is going to be interested in having a guaranteed role which he, he probably would have there I, hey, I j- could see yeah. them going after Robin Lopez as well maybe yeah, that's uh, they that's may not situ- have the scratch for him yeah depending on what kind of circumstance he wants you know maybe he'd rather take less money to be on a good team entirely possible especially yeah. because of the flexibility in terms of minutes possible I wouldn't say it's likely but you know Ed Davis whose injury was an underrated factor in the Sixers taking easy control of that net series jordan bell would also be a a really good fit there um but let me ask you this let's say they're in this situation with the mini mid level 5.7 million or minimums are you going to use that full mini mid level on a wing or are you going to use it on a backup center what's the bigger need for this group wing if you can get somebody who's good enough it's so hard to find a good wing for the minimum even if it's an imperfect backup you can find backup centers for the minimum yeah and more likely to be centers on the buyout market as well and yeah i I mean they they desperately need someone like that to be part of their playoff rotation i'm sure you could see an overreaction because of just the problems they had at backup center and that crazy you know negative 12 in three minutes in the game seven and you know just how bad the stats were without Embiid and the need to keep him healthy and all that stuff but uh yeah i, I think and i think there's some guys in the power forward market maybe you could help them too even someone like luol dang could come in and maybe give them just a, a little bit here especially during the regular season where but i but i like the idea 
idea of more of a switch ball center when Embiid is out of the game, especially because of the way that Brett Brown likes to run the rotation where he doesn't play Embiid that many minutes consecutively. You've got that switch center still playing with big guys on the main unit. You're also going against the other team's starters a fair amount of the time as well. So that's a, another reason why it, you might want to say, hey, we, you know, switching against the other team's starters is something that we really would like to do with all the size we have with Simmons still out there. Simmons and Embiid are always staggered. So you'd be looking for someone who can play with Simmons. Now, I guess the other thing you could say, though, is if you're looking for someone who can play with Simmons, you want someone who can really shoot it. But in their price range, getting someone who can shoot it and defend it is not going to be realistic. All right, anything else on these guys? No, I think that's plenty. Well, I have something else to say about Zebit, which believes that everyone deserves access to lifelong interest-free credit. With Zebit, Z-E-B-I-T, you have the power to buy what you need and pay over time interest-free. They provide a better zero-interest credit option for all members, no matter your credit score. There's no cost to join, no membership fees, no late fees. They have more than 50,000 products in their marketplace. Brand names like Xbox, Sony, Apple, GoPro, Fitbit, all at competitive prices. Zebit has nothing to do with your credit score. It's not determined by it, and your Zebit account does not impact your credit score either. So from electronics to barbecues, furniture, Zebit has everything you need for when you need it. They have a five-star rating on Trustpilot, and they've earned the trust of hundreds of thousands of customers who shop on Zebit, and there's that ability to pay overtime interest-free. Sign up for Zebit today at zebit.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace because we talk about it all the time here on the program. You can get $2,500 in credit to shop the Zebit marketplace at zero interest and zero cost to join that zebit z-e-b-i-t dot com slash cap space for $2,500 of interest-free credit and don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right let's uh break it up here and talk a little bit about Jarrett culver six foot seven wing i guess we'll call him out of texas tech six nine and a half wingspan only an eight four standing reach he's like me he's got a long neck and uh weighs it at 195 pounds although i thought he played more physically than that uh what stood out to you in his statistical resume. So this was his second season at Texas Tech. As freshman year, he actually set the record for conference for points in conference play for freshman in Big 12 history, even though he was playing more off the ball than he did this year. But for his sophomore season, which is the one we're going to focus on, 25 PER, 54% true shooting on 32% usage, really ramped up his assists and didn't really ramp up his turnovers, which is always a good sign. And then if you, for those who like the counting stats, 19 points, 6.4 rebounds, 3.7 assists, and 32 and a half minutes per game. But, and this will come up many times with Jared Culver, 30% on 4.23s per game, 71% on 5.5 free throws per game. Yeah, he did hit 38% from three a year ago, but uh, on some much easier attempts, not as many or, or not nearly as much volume as this year. And he's 68% lifetime or in college, I should, should say, from the foul line. Also concerning only 24% from three in conference play this year. There's a big disparity, as Mike Schmitz pointed out, between the way he played against below 500 teams of which they played many in non-conference play and uh, above 500 teams only 34 percent on two-point jumpers uh, as well which uh, comprised 31 percent of his offense per hoopmath.com did shoot a nice 67 percent at the rim although we'll see how well that actually ends up translating and 45 percent of his threes were unassisted so he's actually seems a little bit more comfortable he reworked his jumper in the offseason which it looks a lot better than it did his freshman year but he almost seems more comfortable shooting off the bounce at this stage than on catch and shoots well i, I want to bring up a point on that i from the first footage i watched of him i wrote down something is wrong with this jump shot i want to figure out what it is and i cracked 
hyped up because in Schmitz's video thing, he talked about him shooting on the way down. I was thinking he was shooting on the way up. It was just there well, was just something off. It's with very the inconsistent. That's yes, what it, it's. Hard I think it's to both. Yeah, what's wrong with it? Because there's something else, something different that's wrong with it every time. Right, and I, I think that's a, a an important place to start with with Culver because we've seen in the modern NBA that if a player is going to be on ball a lot, and we just talked about the Philadelphia 76ers, they can be a, a, a good example here in a couple different ways. If a player is going to be on ball a lot, they have to have a jump shot that you respect unless they're so damn good at everything else. And there are guys, Giannis, Ben Simmons, who, who can make that, but we've seen some of their limitations as well. And I'm not saying Culver has the rest of his game to be there, but if, if for those who feel, and I would be one of these, that the jump shot is not, like that I'm not confident that it's going to be reliable, then a lot of this stuff falls away against the caliber of athlete, defender, and tacticians that he will face in the NBA as opposed to non-conference play or the Big 12. Let me ask you this. What would you say is his best aspect as a prospect? It's interesting because like, it does seem like he try, like he, he tries and that he, he's diligent. Like I liked his rebounding a lot, and, but he yeah. does he's not super physical, which is which is weird. Like, so you could, like Mark is smart, I, you know. I like, think within his, within his limitations, he's physical. Sure. You know, especially when he's trying to drive to the basket and finish maybe yeah i I guess so but you don't see it as much defensively like defensively he doesn't get into guys that much he's often there but he's not into them it was a criticism out of rj but but with culver he doesn't have the same reputation like he has he has a reputation texas tech had this awesome defense this year and that gets into something that i actually wanted to bring up and i deliberately well well, here can i say what i think yes yes go ahead i I agree with you i I would put his just overall competitiveness up there you know there aren't times like with most prospects and perhaps this speaks to the system he came up in and the fact that he wasn't considered this really uh, highly ranked prospect throughout his career uh you know there aren't these times where you're just like all right he's just not trying here you know like that's so i, I do really appreciate that um and, and just his overall makeup desire to improve like all the reports on, on that are very very good i would say his passing would be the other one for me uh, as a guy at, at six seven who can handle the ball make style blasts he led the team in assists a lot of those off the dribble making reads in pick and roll to the extent those were available it seemed like a pretty limited offensive team around him but you know but he's not a wow passer necessarily but i i would say that's the best aspect and that gets into some of the problems with him of just you know what is this guy going to be really good at at the next level right yeah and that's where i wanted to go so i deliberately don't do a lot of kind of the backgroundy stuff until after i've watched some footage because i feel like it's going to color my analysis and when i heard he was a three-star recruit i went oh okay i get a lot of this more because at the high school levels sometimes the and and they do a great job by and large it it comes down to you know physical dominance or dynamic skills so somebody who is way bigger or way faster or way stronger is going to do really well in the rankings or somebody who maybe they're a preternatural passer at 16 and so it stands out and those sorts of things those are not guarantees of success but a lot of times those basic attributes become the calling cards for players once they build out their game and so when I watched Culver I saw a player who doesn't have a lot of those advantages and used what he had reasonably well but then when you make the jump from the big 12 to the NBA especially at the two and the three you're facing a dramatically different caliber of a player and when I watched the UVA game and you know, a lot of times he had he had a hunter on him he just because Culver has so little shake in his game a lot of the other good things he does just weren't as relevant I think in some ways he's actually pretty similar to RJ Barrett but worse in just about every 
possible area. I think he's worse yeah. as an athlete. I think he's worse oh, far, as a, I think he's worse away, as a, well, except for like kind of that effort stick tuitiveness stuff. Like especially in the yeah. defensive end, like he he's more engaged. And as much as I think Culver might be yeah. overrated as a defender, I do think that he has talent there. Yeah, they're very similar size wise, both mm-hmm. of them. But but you know, I, I think and RJ has a you know, and they're both good kids and well. yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, you take all of our concerns about RJ Barrett and then just say, okay, this guy is 80% as good as RJ Barrett and a year older. And that, that can kind of tell you where we're at with Culver at this point in time. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah. And, and, and remember we weren't that high on RJ Barrett to begin with. No, I mean, no. and so. The, well, well and, and here's what I'll say is the difference between them quickly. Sure. Uh, I think RJ, we talked about, all right, it's going to be tough for him to be an elite primary creator at the NBA level. And so I saw his ceiling as engine of a below average offense. Whereas I don't think Culver can even get there due, due to some of his physical limitations and shooting limitations. I think he is is just not going to be able to play as a primary creator in the NBA and maybe probably not even as a secondary creator, even if some of the things that, you know, he reaches what I think of as, his, I don't want to say his ceiling, but, you know, maybe his 80% median outcome. I just don't see him having the raw materials to work with enough to where he's really going to be a guy who you're putting the ball in his hands on a regular basis basis in the NBA where you're like all right we want this guy to be a high teen score for us and if he's not that then it's just you know what is this guy right and I like that in this year's iteration of the video Schmitz is is doing physical comparisons and so the guy who has similar measurables is Karis LeVert and that's instructive in terms of okay well well who is this guy gonna do in college because he was handling the ball a lot there were teams especially because a lot of colleges don't have wings he was being guarded by smaller players by six two six you know six six foot to six three players and he had a lot of advantages on those guys first of all there are fewer of those players in the nba because they're more bigger they're they're more players of size but also if he can't create reliable offense then a team is going to have to have somebody else do that and while there are players who are taller than point guard size to do that odds are they're going to be smaller and so there isn't a reason why a team would just put a six foot one guy on Jarrett Culver very often and a lot of the those advantages go away and he's not going to be a better athlete than a lot of the guys who are on him either so that's a big a, a big concern a, a thing I wanted to bring up in terms of because I just I don't have an answer yet on this question is comparing Culver and Barrett who do you have a higher hope can maybe not get to be a great shooter or anything like that but fix their jumper enough that teams have to respect I think I'd probably go with RJ uh shot better from three this year I like his spot up shooting a, a little bit more he shows more ability to shoot off the ball on the move I am not particularly enthused by either of them and I'm not saying it's be guaranteed to be RJ but I think I, I think I like his jumper a little bit better well I, I think me, I think yeah, why it's RJ yeah. for me is because I freak out at a player who's more comfortable on pull-ups than catch and shoots like that just means there's something wrong with your catch and shoots and it's a concern yeah. uh so I want to talk a little bit more about his physical profile and the situation there to provide some context before we we start getting into some of the more specific things uh, about Culver's game. I mentioned uh, the physical profile, good size for the shooting guard position, mentioned the the low standing reach. Uh, You know, I think he plays pretty forcefully with the ball when he gets a shoulder by guys. He's not going to get bumped off his path. He's physical, gets to the foul line at, at a pretty good rate. Doesn't really have solid explosion. I would say average at best for your NBA shooting guard small forward type uh you know really it is tough for him to get up and dunk it especially off at two feet i really saw very little explosion uh he really looks like
like a small forward out there more than he does a shooting guard and going to his situation now he started at the three but really played the four more much more often in the clips that i saw they would start two bigs kind of utah jazz style and then take one of them out because they realized they needed to get some more shooting out there and so he really was almost playing the four he would set some screens a a lot he was being guarded by the other teams for a, a lot of the time and they also didn't really have a traditional pick and roll point guard option out there a lot of the time um and i mentioned how he had the big numbers drop uh, against better competition uh and, and they also played this pack line defense which we can talk more about when we're evaluating his defense and what that really means for a, a prospect i decided to actually like learn a little bit about how that defense works now so i because people are like, oh well they don't get blocks and steals because of the pack line defense and so i wanted to see if i could get to some theories about why that is so uh where do you want to start in terms of some more specific observations about it i want to start with his handle yeah. and it's very functional not much shake to his game and he does have a few moments like there was one i i was really pleased in late in the regulation of the national championship game against virginia he had a nice kind of an escape spin move on hunter that i, I did really enjoy but that's not really shake that's just like a move he went to in a specific spot and but like crossovers and hesitations like he has some of that stuff but he doesn't generate a ton of separation with it doesn't get guys really off balance that much with yeah and when you add that to his average explosion you know there are a few times i like him much more with a live dribble triple threat from the 17 18 foot range you know he's able to use the jab step moves get separation with nice footwork but then generally that separation you know his first step was okay but then steps two through five the guy would just catch up to him and so it was very rare that he was able to get past his initial man and not be bothered by that man when he would go and finish at the rim and you know not a ton of great moves off the dribble as you mentioned i mean there weren't plays where you're like oh this guy's breaking somebody's ankles or you know he really just blew by someone it's more okay i'm gonna kind of work into position and uh, i'm gonna spin and like try to shoot over you in the in the mid-range or just get a shoulder barely past you and try to force my way to the basket you know more of a college style of perimeter scoring necessarily than an nba one i mean i i in watching some of his moves i didn't have a single one where i was like oh man that dude is fast you know you don't see that with them uh i think that he just in general is too slow to play the two from an offensive standpoint you know you just don't see his foot speed is a lot slower than most twos and and i think defensively that could come into play as well uh well a quick point there yeah. uh, so if you go by the synergy the synergy kind of percentiles not points per possession because certainly many types of possession are are more valuable or are higher effectiveness than others comparatively his best area is as an isolation player and i agree with i agree with you the triple threat stuff was 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 probably some of the best film that i saw of him but that's also an area where there is a huge talent disparity you know it's it's very different isolating against the average college two or whatever positions guarding him at a given game at texas tech versus the the guys who are going to be guarding him in the nba so you want it to be stronger in other areas because we know that that doesn't transfer yeah transition also not something where you're like with uh, as a grab and go guy he's not gonna just run it down your throat put he, pressure on the he, defense he doesn't push it that much like for a guy yeah. who works now hard, that that's a somewhat situation i think, I think yeah i think kinda, so too you know but, more more of the tony bennett type of school of offensive yeah, basketball it could here. it could be but but it doesn't especially with his limited like he's he's not an amazing athlete and he's not super fast with the ball in his hands like he slows down when the ball's in his hands it doesn't seem like there's a ton of untapped potential there though a mentality shift would help 
Yeah, one of the things that I think, you know, maybe his recipe for success, if he does get smaller players on him, is the kind of get to his spot, push off, rise up over the defense type of ISO game. He showed some very small flashes of, but I expect him, again, to not really be playing the two, so you'd have to get him that mismatch. I don't think that type of game, especially with his low standing range, he does have the type of jumper with a reasonably high release where he could get to that. He's obviously, you know, the ball's got to go in on on those jump shots. But, you know, maybe those Joe Johnson style, I'm just going to knock you back and rise up type of plays. It could be part of his game uh, eventually. I thought his finishing, despite the 67% around the rim, I didn't think that was indicative of what he was able to do against good competition. Going to his right, he's better, as most guys, most right-handed players are. But, and when he can use his body and get a shoulder into someone, then it can look okay for him or, or he can get to the foul. The problem is a lot of the times the shoulder getting into occurs on his own man who is still with him there so that that limits his finishing because it's usually you know he's going up against two guys his own man and maybe someone coming over to help does not get great extension at all you don't see the scoop layups you don't see the one hand speed layups where you don't put your left hand on the ball those Nash Gary Payton type of layups uh you don't really see him just getting his arm extended away from the defense as uh, Cody Topper talked about it he doesn't have the evasive finishing aspect all of his finishing pretty much is confrontational finishing and he doesn't have the athleticism to just go through guys chests uh he's not really going to dunk on anybody uh I don't think he has huge hands from what I could tell um I think he's going to be really reliant on overpowering guys which you know is, is just difficult then the left hand he'll try them but a lot of really Really wild misses uh, with the left hand that's uh, again not helped by the lack of explosion uh he's just so dependent on getting his body into the guy to finish well and the other thing he doesn't really have at all right now is a floater game you know i, I think he's gonna if he's going to become the on-ball guy that some people project he's gonna have to really have a good floater game where he kind of you know works into position against his own man and hasn't really created a help crisis so a shot blocker hasn't come over it's kind of too early for a shot blocker to come over and he can just float it up over his own man it, it doesn't really have that aspect to, to his game and he's just he's not a guy that you see as having amazing natural touch you know whether it's the jump shot whether it, it's finishing um it, yeah it's hard to say that that aspect is close to a strength anything else that you noticed about him finishing at the rim not, n- nothing too much in that area i was i was just thinking about some of his his entry passes as well but that's a different category yeah yeah and I think, you know, the pick and roll game, the operation is pretty good and the ability to see over the defense, make passes to the weak side. I think when he gets penetration, when the help comes over, he showed a good ability to either alley-oop it or lay it down to the big. They had some decent finishing bigs on this team. So yeah, I thought that aspect of his game was good. It's just a question of whether he's going to be able to put enough pressure on the defense as a conventional pick and roll guy, you know, where you're not just going to play that down two cover where you're playing it two on two laying the big back is he going to be able to get into anything other than a mid-range jumper with the guy right on his back out of pick and roll or not I'm not sure that he can right and yeah can you instill enough panic to create the passing lanes that are necessary to function in those circumstances is is a real question there were there were sometimes like there was one where I, I really like the bounce pass he threw to a roller and just at the exact right angle got it got it there for a dunk and it wouldn't have been there that was in the in the UVA game wouldn't have been there if he threw basically any other pass so you always like it when a player can do that and i like his vision but i don't love it it's not only the the tools and 
the toolbox, but it's, you know, it's functional. It's it's definitely not bad, but I like Barrett's vision more, and I also like liked his overall passing. And, and that's, it's not necessarily fair to compare everybody to R.J. Barrett. That was my biggest, my favorite thing about his game. But again, the threshold for players of this ilk, passing, handling, all that kind of stuff is really high because if you can't do it at that level, then you're not going to be doing it very much. And again, especially if you're a secondary ball handler or even below that, then the jump shot matters more. Everything else matters more. And I'm trying to think. I, I have I have some more stuff on his defense, but I'm about I'm yeah. About we can ready. shift to that now if if you're ready. Yeah. So defensively, s- some of the concerns I had with him will can be corrected. Like I thought he did too much ball watching, but I that happens. You know, 20 year old kid, 19 year old kid. The he he was usually able to recover. There were a couple plays in the UVA game where I got mad that he was helping too far off of Kyle Guy, who's a very good shooter. Everybody knows that, and so you need to you need to be closer. You can help off, sure, but you need to be closer there. But the those sorts of things not particularly you know that's correctable and they're in the right system they'll 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 adjust with that but the and, and his rebounding was is a genuine strength i thought that he did better for his position and for his frame than i expected and that means he's getting after it and like there aren't a lot of ways especially for a guard to kind of fake that out with rebounding so i i did really enjoy that but thinking about it at the next level if defense has to become a more important part of culver's value being more of a two maybe a two one defender is a lot less valuable than being able to defend threes and we've seen this throughout and it's not a height thing because you know Marcus Smart is shorter than Culver and does a really good job but he's so damn strong and he's a he's a pit bull and all of those I mean Patrick Beverly is much smaller than both those guys but I don't see that kind of game for Culver so he's more of kind of like a complimentary defensive player a useful one in all likelihood but not that guy and so the combination of not being and not being a lead guy off Offensively or defensively is concerning. That's a big problem. Yeah, I echo that. I, I think uh, I'll talk a little bit about the the situation here with with this pack line defense. So as I mentioned, he played the three really most often. The four seemed like they switched one through four generally. And please correct me if I'm getting this wrong because I've only done a little bit of research uh, on what the pack line defense is. Not something that you see in the NBA. It, it's been cited as a reason why players in that system, going back to Aaron Gordon, don't get as many blocks or steals. What it is is you basically have everyone other than whoever is guarding the ball standing 16, 17 feet away from the rim in a circle. You're guarding your man, but you're towards the basket. And so you're you're already drawn in packing the paint. Whoever is guarding the ball, their job is to put really high pressure on the ball, even if they're going to get blown by. But the idea is to force them into these other four guys who are waiting, packing the paint. And then when you try to draw help and kick out, out because the guys are already there in the paint and because the college line is closer you only have one move to make right like you don't have to dig in off your man and then get back you're already plugged into the paint they drive in they pass it out to someone you get a hard closeout and hey because you can close out super hard because then if you that guy drives by you now you've got all these guys packed into the paint again winning so you're these the idea is that the driving kicks aren't really gonna cause a lot and you're just preventing penetration you're not pressuring out on the floor at all other than just on ball pressuring the ball where it's really tough to get steals so i think the idea is you're not going to get steals because you're not pressuring out on uh, on the floor you're not denying you're not gambling in the passing lanes uh, at all and you're not really forcing as many traditional help situations with your bigs where they're going to be block shots 
because you're just keeping them out of the paint entirely and then in the post you're supposed to front the post as much as you can and then double team if they do actually succeed in getting it into the post so there's that's kind of the idea behind this so you saw him and that it forces teams to play pretty slowly get get laid in the clock how does that apply to Culver he did actually have a reasonable number of blocks but part of that I think again is because he's playing the four a lot of time that's actually KP had the stat that he's not projected to be above in the top 25 percent of the NBA in any statistic except for block rate but I think that would probably depend on what position you're putting him at as far as for his position if you're talking about as a two guard yeah if you're talking about him as a three then maybe not I'll have to ask him that uh I thought he executed the system pretty darn well for a, a college sophomore uh in isolation you know a lot of his iso possessions were forcing guys to go by him when guys were able to get a crossover on him though I thought it really didn't look good for him I thought he got his ankles broken a fair number of times if he wasn't really pressuring up on the guy and forcing him to drive if he gave the guy any kind of airspace which you more really have to in the NBA you can't just get blown by in a straight line the way you can with this pack line defense when you know a lot of times he's actually opening up his stance and just forcing him one way into the help you know usually to whoever the wing was who was pulled in there but when he was backed off a little bit more guys I thought especially smaller guys ones ones and twos really had a quickness advantage in him and and were able to get good separation for the jump shot uh, or blow by him uh I do like that he fights hard to stay in the play when he does get beaten uh and he did have a few blocks from behind there though overall especially with his two foot athleticism I don't see him being a very impactful help defender at the basket uh, and I didn't think he had like unbelievable help instincts either uh but yeah a, a lack of mistakes so it was good he was part of uh, the best defense in the country um and I thought it, uh in the post playing the four I thought he was able to be pretty physical within that 195 pound limitation he tried to front he gave good effort there um you know is he going to be able to deal with a LeBron James trying to back him down or something you know I'm not I don't think he has that type of size of strength but he does compete in that area he does and there were a few plays that bothered me like there was one I think it was in the in the UVA game yeah the first play of the second half where he gave up a little bit too easy of a seal and then that actually led to an open three which put UVA up six but overall I thought that he did a nice job in those circumstances and the the shift in talent is, is going to be a big question there but yeah I mean if if he were a better offensive player I wouldn't worry as much about some of the defensive stuff but if that has to become his calling card then I'm gonna hold it to a higher standard yeah and and I I see that as well I think he could be solid he could be part of a, a decent defense I don't think he's gonna be a player that teams are like yeah let's go attack this guy you know I think he's he's gonna be solid but that takes me to the question as we wrap up on him here of just you know what is this guy supposed to be really good at I don't really have a great answer to this question it's gonna have to take big improvements you know maybe the shooting comes around I'm not a believer in it right now the free throw shooting isn't good he has shown improvement but if I had to say you know he also shot by the way like no deep NBA range threes every three that he took was was right on the line right right dead bang uh, on the line um and you know the whole inconsistent jump shooting on the way down that doesn't translate well the lack of of spot shooting you know I don't think he's going to be a quality three-point option for the first couple of years even if it does uh, ever come around and then if he's going to be a guy handling the ball I just don't think he's good enough there with the, the explosiveness the skill level to really be a, a main option there off the ball the shooting could be an issue I don't think his defense is going to get him on the court and so maybe if he goes to a team that just hey we, the Phoenix Suns we don't have any other pick and roll options other than Devin Booker and so go out there and try your best but you know I don't think he can be efficient in that role uh you know having the ability to attack a closeout and some skill level 
and some passing is nice but is that enough to get him on the floor I I just I see him as having a very high bust potential because if he's not good enough to be a primary option then what does he do to get on the floor I don't have a good answer to that question right now and maybe you hope that the way he's improved that is his good character means that he's going to develop in at least one area or maybe he can be enough of a jack of all trades eventually to get on the floor even if he's not a lead at one particular thing but yeah I mean it's uh now if he becomes a passable three-point shooter you know if you can shoot 35 percent from three all right you know he can be uh and play good enough defense you know then he's gonna he'll have a, a career that'll be okay but and again you look at the lack of elite size too really at, at the three which I, I mean I think he's absolutely a three I don't think he's a two he's just too slow uh but doesn't have the size to play the four I think he can compete at the three but you know again he's if you want to say he's guarding the best small forward on the other team now it, it gets a little dicier so yeah I, I'm uh I mean we haven't looked this is the fifth guy we've looked at now you know he's not even close to in the same league as any of the four guys we've looked at before no you know, I'd say yeah he's not and but I want to bring up one more point which is you talked yeah. about the bus potential and I think that's totally fair what concerns me almost as much as the lack of star potential like it's really hard for me to imagine it, yeah him getting you know, when somebody has all of these things that need to improve to see any one of them get to the level of undeniability that's something I talk about a lot it's hard to imagine that and so I would probably we haven't watched all the other people yet I would probably roll the dice on somebody who even though totally. his floor isn't that high I would roll the dice on somebody who had a way higher ceiling because rookie scale contract restricted for agency at the end of it like those are the those are the guys that you really want to have on your team and whether you draft them at one or you draft them at 30 there's a real value to that and with Culver I I don't expect him to be that guy and so I'm gonna go a little bit more on ceiling there but even with positional scarcity because the star potential and the bust potential are both not in the direction you want yeah I mean I haven't really watched any film yet on like uh Seku Seku uh I think is how you pronounce it his last name I'll look that up before we actually do his profile or Nasir Little but I can almost assure you just because of what they could be and their fit in the modern game that I'm probably gonna like those guys better than Culver and and, you know, I, and there's this school of thought. I, you make a great point about the lack of upside being talked about this range at, you know, number five, number six. Granted, you know, maybe this draft is just that bad. We haven't looked at these other guys yet. Um, but then there's this thought of, oh, yeah, you know, he may not have the upside, but he can come in and start for you right away. Absolutely not. I really don't see that at all. You know, unless it's just we're starting him because we played him because we drafted him at, at this point in time. Um, you know, again, we, you can always be wrong on, on this type of stuff, but that's, we uh, we we don't have the, the relationships with some of the agents uh, and uh the players uh, as they're growing up and we don't rely on the, uh, on them for content at all and so you know when i think someone just isn't good i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say that i don't need to to sugarcoat that a little bit I, I, that's not a knock on those who do i understand why they need to do that and if you read between the lines you can tell exactly what they think even if they're not you know killing a guy the way we might um so yeah i mean i i really i don't see that though as like him being able to come in and start for a team right away uh, uh, no matter how bad they are i don't see how it can be a positive create a positive impact without major major other than maybe just like being okay as a rookie defensively and like not making that many mistakes and having like okay physical you know which is maybe better than your typical rookie well, well since, since you brought it up like i would have mikhail bridges way over culver 
Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, like Mikhail Bridges as he was last yes, year. Yes, as a prospect. Yeah, because Bridges could finish and he could shoot the ball and he has a, a lot more athleticism. So, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, All right, we got to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. But first, this from Twine. We all have big things in the future that we're saving towards, but it can be hard not to spend the money that's in your bank account. That's what the Twine app is for. Helps save money towards your financial goals, but in a much easier way. You can save with a cash savings account or invest in a portfolio of customers for you based on your need and with automatic deposits from your bank to twine you can set it forget it and save without even trying no more temptation to spend that extra money you can even share a goal with your partner and save together with twine you can save and invest for the things that matter to you all it takes is five dollars and just two minutes to get started right now they are offering you fifteen dollars to help you save for your goals just go to twine t-w-i-n-e twine.com slash cap space when you open your first goal twine will add fifteen dollars to your account once again, that's twine.com slash capspace. Easy room slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. Go there today for $15 towards your first savings goal. Start saving at twine.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Let's turn now to the Cleveland Cavaliers. You've written about them lately in light of that dinosaur J.R. Smith uh, non-guaranteed contract. Also worth noting uh, some news here. According to Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com, Dan Gilbert won't be with the team for the 2019 NBA draft. He is still uh, recovering from that stroke that he suffered in Detroit, but he's already given the front office to or permission to go ahead and be aggressive, even if it means adding more salary, which would be pretty amazing, but that's, they could certainly get some pretty good assets, you would think, for that J.R. Smith contract that uh, only has a, a small guarantee out of, uh, what is it, $15.9 million or something that he's making this year? Actually, I have it in front of me. Here, I, I, ha- I have it in front of me too. So $3.9 yeah. million of fifteen point seven is right. is guaranteed, yeah. and his guarantee date is June 30th, so unless they agree to push it back, the J.R. Smith decision will happen sooner, but since his contract value is higher, in many ways it's actually easier to trade him depending on what structure that deal yeah. takes. I think, but, the- but because he's the old school guarantee where he counts for the full number you can do that before the draft and you don't have to worry about like trading him into cap space right right right. yeah and and that's why a deal is is so doable is because theoretically they could trade him for a salary that is similar to his full value and you don't have to worry about getting the numbers to work out it's it's a lot it's a lot more simple but what isn't as simple as you were talking about with the luxury taxes a, a kind of a basic piece of math which is striking considering how awful the Cavs were last year Counting only their full and fully guaranteed salaries, so not including anything for J.R. Smith, Cleveland has 127 million in obligations for the 1920 season. 127 million is only about five million short of the luxury tax line. JR that's Smith's, not even including their draft picks, right? No, that is including their draft picks. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's in, that's including their draft picks and then all their guaranteed monies, but it doesn't include trade exceptions or anything like that, or their pending right. free agents. But what that means as a practical matter is that maybe Dan Gilbert is willing to go into the tax, and if so, more power to him. They can get better assets for it. But anything they had really from this point pushes them over that threshold. And so what I wrote about in the piece for The Athletic, which you can which you can check out, is one of the ideas that I posited at the end is, is even if he has 
has the green light, something that Kobe Altman could do, which I think is a fascinating gamble, is say, hey, it's we can get better assets. We could use this J.R. Smith contract. And then eventually, maybe, depending on the circumstance, get below the tax line. And they have a bunch of different ways they can do that. None of them are super fantastic, but they have a lot of expiring contracts. And the reason why that opens up stuff for J.R. Smith is not only could they potentially trade him for somebody who's making more in 1920, but a multi-year contract because the Cavs have so much money expiring and they aren't really a free agent destination that that's where I think you really start to open up the assets. If you can get somebody who's a bad contract for multiple seasons. Yeah, it's sort of the Mozgov now who is out there at this point in time. On that, maybe someone who signs this summer and just really disappoints or gets hurt or something. You know, if the Wizards had a GM, maybe it could be like a John Wall dumping ground, although you presume wherever Wall ends up would at least be a team that like might want to like play him on their actual team at some point. And they have Colin Sexton here who, uh, I don't know if you heard, but uh, they really think he should have been first team all rookie. They are very high uh, on Colin Sexton. Um, the other thing that I think it is, well, well, so that's a question then. If they are going to go that route, I'm not sure that I see Tim Hardaway maybe is that type of contract in Dallas, um, but I don't see Dallas especially being already out to draft picks in the future and already having lost their pick this year to Atlanta. I don't see Dallas being incredibly fired up to get off of Hardaway and give up more assets to do so. Yeah, it, it's a great point. And so I've been thinking about these dumping grounds. The term I want to use moving forward is, is super fun sites. Basically, the, the places for <laughs> toxic for toxic assets to go. Oh man, that that's taking me back to like some of my worst. I, actually, when I was a paralegal in Chicago, I worked on all these cases with super fun sites, which basically are like places that are so environmentally contaminated that there's like a, a, a federal law that uh, determines like who's responsible to clean up. And there's been also litigation about it if you don't know what that is. But uh, yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, and I've actually, I've, I've done me, I've done a little bit of work story. on it as well, but in a very different context. And what what's striking about the teams that are looking to offload that those sorts of contracts is that most of them are not particularly asset rich or if they are asset rich they don't particularly want to use them for that purpose so Gorgie Jang awful contract but Minnesota doesn't get that much by doing it their their assets aren't particularly strong they don't have like this cash of young players that are awesome Miami is the poster child for this they have a bunch of bad money but they also are are out draft picks and don't have a lot of flexible like a lot of kind of yeah Miami you know, has been rumored to potentially be in, in Sure, and, and if, and if, and if Miami mistakes. wants to give up their good stuff, if they want to give up BAM or the 13th pick or something like that, by all means, I think that might be along the yeah. lines of the best Cleveland could do. Yeah, and you could also see Cleveland sweetening this deal maybe with some guys who can play okay, uh, but also, you know, are, are way overpaid. Like, Del Vidova still would be a totally fine backup point guard option for some of these teams. Jordan Clarkson would be a fine scorer off the bat. Oh, see, I thought you were going to go with somebody like yeah. Jetty Osman, who, you know, is also cheap. But yeah, that works too. Well, are you saying you'd throw Osman? Osman in as well yeah you know not and he's not I mean he's not Tory and Prince they, he's, I think they're very happy with the strides that he made oh sure too. sure sure so I, I think they're gonna and he's a restricted free agent after next year also a, an extension candidate yeah uh, absolutely you know, so they yeah they may try to go like the Norm Powell Josh Richardson route with him um you know Tristan Thompson making 18 million that's that's out there as well as maybe maybe they see him as you know a good backup center option for a team that's trying to dump some salary you know if, if you wanted to trade Thompson for Jang or something like that you know minnesota still needs a backup center maybe that could be thompson um you know and, and they still got brandon knight i mean this is just it is incredible how bad these contracts are with the combination of trying to keep guys to help lebron and then some of the bad contracts that they've taken on it in the last year which you know i i recognize what they're trying to do well and um, also that they sign but those are a little bit 
a different category. I mean, the Kevin Love contract to me looks pretty grisly right now. Well, well, that's a question too that we can talk about is, you know, what is Love's market going to be? Uh, and are they, you know, they haven't had a chance to play with Love at all. I mean, are they thinking, it seems pretty clear to me that they have now given up on the idea of competing, which they had last year, you know, that and this latest from Fedor about Dan Gilbert giving them the go ahead to, to take out money again. Uh, that to me means they are not interested in competing. And so I, you have to imagine that at least by the trade deadline, a, a love trade will be coming. And, you know, as, as we've said before, he at least played okay when he came back. That contract isn't going to get better. You know, maybe, maybe they feel like he needs to play the first two months and then they can trade him and, it, and it'll look better because he was injured last year. But there's also every, anytime you run him out there, there's a chance that he gets hurt again. And that now he's even more, maybe there's still a team that would agree to take him on uh, and for, and give back some modicum of positive value. If a team is willing to do that, I think you jump on it right away. And I mean, I think his contract is pretty significantly negative value at, yeah. at this juncture. Well, and also trading him into a team that has some cap space this summer that strikes out could be a way to reduce your commitments and stay under the tax, even if you do take on salary for Smith. Sure, but I, I wouldn't necessarily use that. That's an ideal circumstance. If you have to take on money to get a better return in that deal, you could yeah. do that as well. And you, you brought up the idea of Tristan Thompson in like a Jang deal or something like that. That's certainly a possibility. I've been thinking more of JR in that in that respect. But something else that could be a possibility, this is something we've dealt with in the mock-off season, and actually more accurately, the mock trade deadline, is a circumstance where, okay, Tristan Thompson, not an $18.5 million player. But if another team has a has a player who is awful and makes $12 million, like let's say, for example, like a, a Miles Plumley type of circumstance, maybe he's yeah. worth $7 million to the Hawks, especially if they've used up whatever space on, on deals, and they're in that netherworld between the, ca- the cap line and the tax, where they're not going to go into the tax for any purpose. Maybe that sort of a deal could be there as well. And so the other team is getting maybe I'm guessing it's going to be less than seven million. Like you would want you would want Tristan for that. But I could see a team getting into that sort of circumstance in mid to late July or even into August. Similar with Jordan Clarkson, yeah. who makes. 13.4 next year yeah so we haven't gotten into the draft yet but uh, really you know culver is being mocked potentially as as going to the five kobe white is not going to be someone that they're looking at i would assume just because of colin sexton so you know who's who's left for them at, at this point you know cam reddish uh oh wait can i make a know, quick point here yeah this is exactly why teams should go best prospect available because there is a distinct chance that as as much growth as colin sexton showed during last year if you think a point guard is the best player in your board the you might end up with the good problem of having two players that play the same position don't don't avoid drafting somebody on a team this bad because they happen to play the same position as the guy that you like best yeah now it could be that they you know, this is a little different situation i don't know white is not like incredibly well regarded we'll see what we think of him when we get there but yeah i mean and th- this is also i mean the new lottery rules cleveland what, was the second worst team in the league last year and falling to fifth all right they got the number eight pick because they were lucky or well not lucky but they made that trade for Sexton and so you know who else is is a long-term building block with this group I guess Osman maybe you could say that he's a starter and so you've got Sexton Osman and whoever you draft at number five who's not looking that amazing and like you know what if you are one of the worst teams in the league again next year but then you fall down to six again and it's like you're you in another bad draft and like they could be mired in the muck for a long long time and maybe they'll get some more draft picks now uh, by taking on the, some bad salary I mean they 
they've got that Milwaukee first is really the only extra one they have in the coffers. Also, don't forget their draft pick is top 10 protected and then converts into two seconds uh, after that, which, you know, those seconds could be pretty valuable. Uh, 2021 and 22 seconds. That's to Atlanta from the Kyle Korver trade. Uh, so, yeah, I think they'll be... Well, and, and actually, Danny, this is interesting too. You know, we talked about how teams can get knocked down if they were to somehow get like, you know, the number seven or, or the number eight seed, like eighth worst record, and then lose that pick because teams jump them up. You know, that's more of a possibility now. That could be a big problem too. So we may see them try and tank it just a little bit harder. I don't think they're going to need to. I think they're going to be bad enough that it's not going to matter. Yeah, I don't, I'm not particularly concerned about that from their perspective. And also just to note it, the pick that they owe, that they are owed from Milwaukee, that is top 10 protected in 2022. So that's the first time that it could yeah, potentially quite a, quite a ways out. Now, uh, being quite a ways out might actually be a benefit just because oh, for sure. we know they're we know they're going to be good in the near term and there's more uncertainty in the long term so that that works out but again it's it's a it's a very nebulous asset we should also mention that they have the because of the brandon knight trade they have the 26th pick in this draft as well from the houston rockets now one thing that we haven't really discussed at all is free agency for them and they have very few of their own free agents channing fry has retired the only other three free agents they have marquise chris who you remember got his fourth year option decline so the most they could pay him would be 4.1 million dollars and uh his market should be significantly less than that uh then they've got nick stauskas who's coming off a minimum deal and then david nwaba who is a restricted free agent a uh, pretty small cap hole but it won't matter because they're going to be way over the cap anyway and then we saw them not really sign anybody last year other than nwaba so i would expect a similar approach this year especially if they're trying to take on this money for jr smith and i don't know who they think that that they're going to sign i mean maybe if there's some really undervalued restricted free agent a jordan bell type of guy where they're like hey you know let's just make a three million dollar a year offer sheet to this guy just to get someone else young in who who could break out you know maybe you could see that approach being taken but almost certainly they're not going to have uh the full mid-level to spend they'll be limited to the taxpayer mle even if they don't take on salary for jr can i make a stray note that i had just i don't know how it took me this long to piece together mostly because i haven't thought about nick stauskas in a while that in the infamous vivek thing he yelled out nick rocks and one of the few times that phrase has been used in another phrase is cleveland rocks going back to the like the drew carey show and i realized uh, that he's in that city now i that made me very happy but yeah their their free agents are limited and they would have had a tantalizing i guess neg- or like a weird negotiation with rodney hood but they traded rodney hood so he is he's now gone and cleveland as you said like i think the best thing would uh, be- i'm glad you did you went off of tantalizing there yeah i, I, that, I mean it would have uh, been it would have been interesting but just because he didn't i mean he took the qualifying offer didn't seem like he wanted to be there but the yeah. opportunity cost for them everything else because they would have full bird rights on him unlike you know just uh, oh, some of the other unrestricted young guy circumstances but value added in in that sort of a circumstance but uh, as the the calves the thing that they need to be very cognizant of in those deals is making sure that they have a future component because getting that value you know whether it's non-guarantees or just having them on a team-friendly contract because just signing interesting young guys for one season isn't particularly valuable for them because then you're just yeah. going to have non-bird rights especially if they're not a restricted free agent so don't go in that direction just if yeah go you can go a little bit bigger if you need to but make sure that there's a, a team component beyond this season yeah and you know so maybe it's the two-year six million dollar offer to jordan bell or avicha zubach with the second year non-guaranteed zubach i think has earned a little bit more than that uh but yeah i mean if they i would be very surprised if they were to sign anyone over like 25 but I, you are, know, that's are you what just I trying would... to get zubach and zizich on the same team is that what's happening here <laughs> 
<laughs> Just like your Bogdanovich Bogdanovich thing in the King section a couple days ago. Let's do some news here quickly. <laughs> um, in Dallas, Dwight Powell, now the report is that he is going to opt in and then sign an extension. If he had opted out, the thought was that he could potentially sign for lower than that $10 million that he was set to make to give them a little bit more cap space. That's not going to happen now. And so this extension will start after next year when he's already due to make the tempo. I don't really understand why Dallas would be interested in this extension unless it's just a really great team-friendly deal. Uh, they obviously overvalued him at $10 million a year in the summer of 2016 when he was a restricted guy and so we'll see what that number ends up being as but and for Paul, you know he's making 10 million so there's not much reason uh, to opt out uh, unless they're really going to be able to to take care of him and give him more but i mean i, I don't really understand why the team is going to do that unless you're going to get him for like five million a year or less which i highly doubt so and he just doesn't have the size to be a starting center doesn't have the shooting ability to play at the four much yeah he's a solid backup center they're not going to play Porzingis 70 minutes he's He's a, a good role guy. I don't think he's particularly impressive defensively. So this is another one of these kind of overvaluing a center type of things. We'll see. But, you know, maybe if the number is lower, I'll feel better about it. But I doubt that it's going to be. There is the flexibility with this sort of an extension that the drop can be larger than, you know, the 8% under full bird rights. It could go, you could go 8% either direction. But I'll believe it when I see it. That's, you know, it, as you, it is a possibility. And also, depending on how this summer goes, Dallas could have more value in 2019 space than 2020 and moving on. So getting him to take more this year to take less beyond that, it could be better for the luxury tax purposes, but it definitely, I mean, not definitely, but it likely reduces their flexibility. In Milwaukee, John Horst has signed a three-year contract extension after only two years on the job. Interestingly, I wonder when his contract was due to expire. Perhaps part of the compromise in getting him in there was that he had no leverage. In fact, I hadn't heard of him until he was uh, announced it as the GM. But maybe part of that compromise was, all right, we'll, uh, he's acceptable to everyone and he's not going to cost that much and he's not going to have that long of a contract. But now it seems like uh, he, he has proven himself. So three-year contract extension for him don't know what that is building on necessarily and then katie questionable officially got uh, on the floor with his teammates it wasn't a particularly strenuous workout it seemed like but he's going to do some more stuff later today with some of the younger guys uh, on the team but uh, i have a couple things to say on this number one even if he does come back even if they can play the death lineup again which i think would completely revolutionize the series feldman made this point on twitter even if you want to say that golden state has a 70 percent chance of winning the games in toronto and a 90 percent chance of winning the home games which even if kd were just magically came back for in the exact same form that he was when he got hurt you would that would be fanatically high uh even if though that was the case they the gold they would still be favorites to lose the series just to show what kind of dire straits that they're in right now uh and then the other thing is you know, there's been some reports that his teammates were upset about him not playing sam amick had that kawakami had an article about how weird it is and he finished it with the question of oh if this were draymond green or clay thompson you know would they still not be playing with this injury well in my experience i think 
I've said this before, but every single time just about that people, whether it's teammates, whether it's the media, whatever, question a guy for supposedly being a Melinger and, be, and being healthy and not playing, it just hasn't ended up well. Whether it's Bill Walton, whether it's Luol Deng in 2009 when he had a, turned out to have a stress fracture in his leg, whether it was Kawhi last year, especially someone like Kevin Durant. Like, you only have so many times in your life that you can play in an NBA Finals. You know, it, it's one thing if it's like, you know, Jerome James who just had one hot playoffs and then got a, a big deal and didn't want to play anymore. You know, Kevin Durant clearly loves basketball. That's what he lives for. I would be really, really surprised if he's like healthy enough to play and just not do it. You know, and certainly the Warriors have done him absolutely no favors. First of all, they should have said as soon as they knew this is a grade two calf strain. We're not sure when he's going to be able to come back. You know, this is normally a, a four week injury, four to six week injury. Uh, Steve Kerr saying, oh, we hope he can scrimmage. And then he actually got that wrong from the medical staff and they he wasn't ready to scrimmage. He had another hurdle to clear. Everyone thinking he was going to play in, in game four and then he didn't. Like if you just compare the narrative between him and DeMarcus Cousins, where Cousins is like, all right, we, we're pretty sure he's not able to return. This is a really severe injury. If they had just gone that route as soon as it was clear how bad it was instead, I mean, we've basically been on pins and needles, Danny, thinking that he could come back, you know, as early as game one of the Portland series and like you know every game in portland it was like oh is he in is he out you know they didn't they wouldn't just like rule him out for the portland series beforehand which clearly they should have done probably you can always retract ruling him out they just did it with kevon looney yeah it's not a binding like you're writing him already putting him on ir for the year and and then if he does come back he looks like a fucking hero because he managed to come back like it was just such a dumb pr i mean maybe this the thought was all right we're gonna really like we'll encourage him to push himself more and like you know um, but we'll put pressure on him to make him come back but again you know as opposed to just being like trusting him to work hard and, and to get back um but i think you you create more motivation for a guy by just saying no he's not gonna be able to do it and then he can as opposed to just like all right we think he can make it we think he can make it we think he can make it like yeah so he's questionable for draw we'll see you know, how he's gonna be used you know, we, we talked a little bit in between games three and four and we thought he was gonna play in game four about how his being back could change the series if you want to go back and listen to that but you know obviously even if he returns golden state remains massive massive underdogs in series i don't really Anything have much to talk add about there. before we go yeah, uh yeah, yeah. i mean uh, the the thing that we should talk about is people watching the nba cast it very well yes might be the last one of the year and might be crowning a champion we'll have to see but you can follow follow along with us if you've altered announcing if you've never done it before this is a fantastic opportunity opportunity to experience it you can watch us on periscope on twitch and then the the best option for a lot of people is youtube because youtube has a functional pause button that means if if we are ahead of you, most notable for international streamers, but true for a lot of other people, then that way you can do it. Now, if you are ahead of us, then hopefully you can do something on your end, like pausing your DVR or whatever else to get there. But it's it's a lot of fun. We do it because we love it. And I mean, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can, but it'll very, I think I expect it to be the last one of the year. So it's a great opportunity to, to watch the game with the two of us. We answer a lot of questions on various different topics. So you can check that out as well. All right. We'll talk to y'all tomorrow night when we may have a new NBA champion. Till then.